0: This is Brand & New, from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property.
1: Welcome to Brand & New, I am Audrey Dove. Over the last few years, organizations across all industries have been reviewing their corporate cultures, management processes, and hiring practices to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. What we call DEI. Like other industries, law firms have been under a microscope for their DEI practices. And from the client's point of view, a law firm including diverse teams brings a rich set of perspectives that result in better reasoned strategies and recommendations. Yet, despite converging pressures from diminished personal tolerance, increased corporate responsibility and more complex regulatory requirements, the representation of minority attorneys made only incremental progress. What does it take for a law firm as an organization and for an attorney as an individual to promote diversity and inclusiveness? How are clients' expectations shaping and fostering the adoption and implementation of DENI principles by law firms? Which considerations do lawyers who are renowned DENI champions embrace and value in their daily practice? Our guest today is Tywanda Lord, partner at Kilpatrick Townsend in Atlanta, USA. Ty Lord specializes in trademark and advertising counseling and litigation. She represents brand owners across a broad spectrum of industries including sports apparel, consumer products and hospitality. She proactively advises clients on a variety of issues including trademark clearance and portfolio management and managing social media advertising campaigns and the IP and right of publicity issues. And last but not least, Ty is heavily involved in and acclaimed for many DNI initiatives in the communities of the Atlanta area. Ty, thank you so
2: much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.
1: Once a nice to have, DNI considerations are increasingly factored in when selecting and engaging with advisors and other vendors. Law firms do not enjoy any type of exception here, and some companies even offer opportunities to pitch incremental business or give credit for tangible community contributions. How has this trend impacted the way you and your firm offer legal services and representation to your clients?
2: So I'm not sure that it impacts necessarily the way that we offer legal services. I do think that it has made our um, firm more intentional about how it Um, puts together its teams to work on clients. Before we had a situation where the teams were selected based just on who might be the person that works with a partner most on a matter or on on a client. And now I think that our teams are are more intentionally um, put together where we are making sure that teams have diversity from all aspects, whether that is from gender, race, um, sexual orientation. We're trying to make sure that we have a diversity of thought on our teams as well as um, diversity when it comes to other demographics. The trend of making sure Sure that teams are diverse is something that we've been dealing with and tackling for quite some time. So it's not particularly new. I think there's different attention being paid to it right now. Since I've been practicing, at least have had um, an emphasis or a, a mandate to try to make our teams more diverse. But I think now because companies are demanding that um, teams be diverse and they're including things like you mentioned, either the opportunity to pitch incremental business or giving different kinds of credit, or even, you know, threatening to remove some of the work if teams aren't diverse. I think that part of it has made a bigger emphasis on the law firm and a bigger impact on law firms um, and how they actually recruit, how they try to retain um, diverse talent. And that part of it um, has increased in some instances. Um, the diversity within our law firms, not to the extent that I think anybody is happy with right now, but it has it helped to increase the diversity within the law firms. The way that we provide service to the client is a little bit different in that we are being more intentional about how we put teams together. In past years or in past times, people were comfortable working with um, the partners and associates that they always worked with. And I think now um, people are being more intentional about putting teams together that have more diversity, not just in the pitch materials where you see women and people of color, but you're also seeing that those people are leading teams and have significant um, roles on the team. And that I think is what's shifting um, with this trend.
1: How do you live by DEI principles in general and in your daily practice? And under some higher scrutiny from clients from that standpoint, are there experiences or breakthroughs that shaped you and your career that you may want to share? And if any, how do you manage to keep your own biases in check?
2: In in terms of how I, I live by um, DEI principles, I, I think that. It's the same thing that I mentioned earlier. It's about being intentional with selecting the people that I work with on a daily basis and trying to make sure that I'm looking um, not just, you know, diversity in terms of race and gender, but also from experience and perspective. I work with a number of tech clients. And a lot of times, some of the things that are, are happening in tech, it requires someone who's younger, who are actually experiencing um, the the products that the client uses. So I want to make sure that I have someone who understands that on the team. So we're talking about diversity and inclusion from a broad spectrum. It's not just I'm looking at it from race and gender um, as well. It's you know I typically I am the the person of color on my team. I, I think it's not difficult to imagine that um, in a large law firm um, that we may not have the numbers in terms of women and people of color. So typically I am the diverse person on the team. And what I try to do in living my D&I principles is making sure that when I hear or or see things that show bias that are that where bias has has kind of infiltrated our decision making to point that out so that we can self-correct it. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that I do in my daily life in, in terms of living my the DNI principles. You ask also how do I manage to keep my biases in check? And I think the real answer to that is that I don't. I think everybody has biases. And if you if you think that you don't have any biases, then that in and of itself is an issue. What I do though is acknowledge that I have biases and I try to actively um, mitigate them. I mean, when I am making a decision and a bias might be informing that decision, I try to do things that mitigate that. And I'm lucky enough to work with people who will check me on that if I don't. So if there is a decision that's being made and I don't have a reasonable or rational basis for making that other than perhaps my bias, I think I have good people working around me who will call that out and say, you know, why are we making this decision? And are we basing it just because of what we think and what we assume, or are we basing it on rational, reasonable data points to help us make the decision?
1: Based on your experience advising companies in various industries, what does it mean for brands to embrace social value and more specifically to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in 2022?
2: So I think brands have a, a unique opportunity to demonstrate that they embrace social value and they promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. When in 2020 and 21, when we had so much um, social unrest in our country based on some of the things that happened, for example, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey. A lot of companies at that point put out statements about their support of diversity, equity and inclusion and how they planned on making sure that they put their money behind social justice initiatives, etc. And that was great. Um, And there were lots of. Um, the different programs at large brands that were directed to making sure that their employees had resources that could help them deal with some of the issues that they might have been having as a result of what was happening in our country. I, I think that all of those things were fantastic. I think that the part that is an opportunity for brands, just as it is for law firms, is to make sure that diversity, equity, inclusion is seen throughout their internal organizations as well It is not just something that is um, consumer facing, but it's also reflected within the company. So when we're looking at their boards of directors and their C-suites and their managers, is their diversity running up and down the ladder there? Are are we seeing um, more women and more people of color um, and people with different sexual um, orientations or gender identities. Are we seeing that from the boardroom down to the mail room in, in, within the corporations? I think that's how um, they would actually be able to demonstrate their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Looking at the
1: legal industry at large, diversity and inclusion are known to be falling behind other industries, even though some changes are noticeable. Also, true diversity requires inclusion in terms of race and gender, but also sexual orientation or identity, ethnicity, age, and disabilities. Thai, as a woman and a woman of color, your profile is unfortunately still an outlier in the law firm world. Yet, you've been with your law firm for the last 22 years and you now sit on the firm's executive committee. What efforts do you consider effective to foster a more inclusive culture and diversity at every level from hiring practices, staff management, mentoring programs, maybe others?
2: So, I I don't know that I have a real answer for that. I think if I did that you know, I could make a ton of money in consulting right now and I could leave my law firm of 22 years. I do think that in order for us to um, really foster inclusion and diversity at every level and a law firm requires us to be very intentional about doing it, um, this is not something that is going to happen organically. I think that's what's been tried or relied upon in past years and we've proven that it cannot happen organically it must happen intentionally Um, and, and it needs to happen intentionally from the top down we need to have leadership who are bold enough to make the decisions to make this diversity, equity, and inclusion a priority um, within their organizations Um, and not just say that it's a priority, but actually take action to prove that it's a priority, to demonstrate that it's a priority. I mean, I think we have to do some things that are outside of our comfort zone. I mean, I think that we are very much um, used to doing things a certain way, for no other reason than that's how it's always been done. And we have to be willing to take risk to figure out whether there's another way to do it and that that other way might be better in achieving our goals at diversity and inclusion and equity. I I do think that we have all of these studies out there that, that demonstrate that when you have a diverse team that you have better outcomes and better results. I don't know that we've we're convinced enough of that though. When we I think once we really embrace that, we can make the changes that we need to um to to make diversity, equity, inclusion something that is happening through hiring and, and mentoring programs at entry level and in retaining the people that we actually are able to bring into our organizations. I think one of the things that probably hinders us more than anything is our ability to retain the folks that we get in the door at our firms. And we lose them in various ways. Sometimes we lose them to our clients, which is great. We want, you know, our clients to see that we have great people and and they recruit them away from us and we we're we're happy sometimes when that happens but we have to be able to retain the folks that we get in because we also want to make sure that we have that diversity at every level In the law firm, whether it's at the equity level of partnership, on the executive committees, in leadership positions, senior associates and mid-level associates, because I think having that group of people who can see a path forward to success at a firm or in any organization helps to recruit other folks and, and then retain the people that they have.
1: Law firm leadership and business management functions remain primarily staffed by white men. According to Law 360's 2021 glass selling report, only 30% of law firm executive committee members in 2020 were women. Only 23% of equity partners were women, and only 3% were women of color. To what extent diversity should come from the top down?
2: Um, I, I think that the only way that we're going to have true diversity within any organization is if there is diversity from the top down. Um, right now, when when we don't have it at the top, I think it re- is required for leadership to actually do the things, do the hard things, to make the hard decisions to enforce, um, to demonstrate, to come up with different programs that will uh, insist upon having diversity throughout the organization. Um, and then once we are able to get critical mass, I do think that we have to have diversity from the top down. As I mentioned earlier, we want to make sure that we have have it at the equity level of partnership, at our executive committee level, all the way through the, the firm. And I think that that's important for a number of reasons. One is that it helps with recruitment because people want to be able to see that there's a path forward for them within their organization. It, it's very hard, I think, for law students and, and younger lawyers to come to a firm and look at the top and not see anyone that looks like them and and think that there is a true path forward for them. So I think it is helpful in that way. But also, I think having people at the top will assist in the kinds of things I talked about earlier about making hard decisions and being outside of our comfort zone. When you have people with diverse experiences in leadership positions, they have the power and the influence to help make some of those decisions further down within the core of the organization, um, whether that's with recruiting people from law schools that you don't normally recruit from. Um, that's one of the kinds of things that if someone is at the top, who's had a different experience can explain, can share that experience with the other leaders at in their organization and help start to change how we do things at the core of the law firm, which is, you know, bringing folks in at the beginning from from a recruitment standpoint, and even how we look at um, promoting people within the law firm, how we look at providing different opportunities to people. The more diversity you have at all levels of the firm, starting at the top, I think the more diversity you will have throughout the organization.
1: Is there anything you would like to share about your personal experience leading this path?
2: When I started at my law firm, there weren't the the kinds of things that I just talked about, that there weren't very many black partners at my firm, and there were no black female partners at my firm. So I had to try to find mentors and examples and role models Either outside my firm or with people that didn't necessarily share my demographics, right? So, and I was able to do that, and and I wish I could explain to you how that happened, and and I and I can't. Well, maybe I can explain that actually. Um, I I was lucky enough that when I started my law firm, I already had a sponsor. I already had someone that I worked with um, as a law student on the national trial team. Um, and who brought me to the firm that was there looking out for me, um, that wasn't on my team, but I could tell had his hands in making sure that I had opportunities. And then when I had when I got those opportunities, I capitalized on them, I tried to do the best work that I possibly could. One, so that I wouldn't embarrass him because he brought me in, but two, because I was trying to prove something to myself as well. So I, I had that coming in. And then because I was able to Um, Leveraged some of his network um, and and still some of his goodwill, quite frankly, I was able to also continue to proceed and progress through the firm and, and picked up some other sponsors and mentors along the way. That was the path that I took. Um, I'm hopeful that um, some of the younger um, women of color that are on my team and in my firm um, see me as a person that they can rely on to try to help them navigate some of the issues and the, the path that you have to take to get from associate to partner at the firm. I hope that I can be that for them because there was somebody there who was certainly that for me.
1: Back in May 2021, you were selected to join the LEAD Leadership Advisory Council, LEAD being an NGO that uses baseball to empower at-risk Black student athletes in Atlanta public schools to overcome challenges such as crime, poverty, and racism. Can you tell us more about your involvement in such initiative?
2: Sure. So LEAD is organization that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I met the founder during a leadership program in Atlanta, and my son plays baseball. So so I, I've been introduced to the world of baseball through my son. And, you know, one of the things that I learned through that process was how expensive baseball is and also because of that in some instances how um, few um, black males that we have actually playing um, baseball and when um, the founder, CJ, um, talked to me about this organization, one of the things that they do is help the kids who um, are in the Atlanta public school system. And I graduated from an Atlanta public school system. So my interest in baseball and, and the fact that I had some experience coming up through the Atlanta public school system really um, made me want to be involved in this organization. And I think that when I was in in school, and I'll go ahead and give a shout out to my, my high school, the Douglas High School, one of the things that I appreciated about that school and that experience was that I got exposure to things that I wouldn't have gotten exposure to had I not gone there. My middle school teacher was the one who encouraged me to apply to um, my high school, which was a magnet school at the time, for the um, engineering program there, and and that's what I did, but without that exposure, I'm not sure exactly what path i would have gone here lead through lead cj the owner or the the executive of the organization um is trying to do the same thing but using baseball as the tool to do that is giving the kids who are involved exposure all of them may or may not be great baseball players but all of them are involved. They are um, seeing people and doing people who are doing things that they might not otherwise see them doing. They are getting exposure and mentorship through strong, positive black males, which I think is very important. Um, And they're getting passed to college and they're using he's using baseball to do that. And I just feel like if I can give to any organization that mentors and exposes kids to particularly black kids to things they wouldn't be exposed to to broaden their horizons, then I want to do that for them because as I said before, somebody did that for me.
1: Now, Ty, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. A DENI initiative that has made, in your view, a real difference in the law firm world.
2: With d initiatives, I think some of them are really good about bringing attention to the issue so that the people um, within the organization can be more intentional about their day-to-day activities and what it is that they're doing. The other thing that I think has been a really good, I don't know if I would call it an initiative, but I think focus, um, has been from um, corporate America, where they are insisting that law firms are more diverse and they're holding them accountable to that. I think that accountability Um, Is really helping to move the needle. It's not moving as quickly as I think we'd like it to be, but I do think that it is helping to move the needle. Um, There are also some partnerships between law firms and corporate um, at the recruiting stage of the practice that I think has been really helpful in bringing in more um, diverse candidates and more diverse talent into law firms, where corporations are partnering with the law firms through um, the uh, students um, while they're even still in law school so during their summer programs they are partnering with them to um, mentor to give their their the corporations are actually selecting the students and they might be going to schools that law schools that law firms or at least big law um, may not traditionally go to to select their their um members of their summer class so I think some of those kinds of things are helpful in bringing folks in but I also think that with the corporations and the businesses actually making firms be more accountable as to how they staff their matters it's the thing that's keeping people there because that's helpful because it's helping a broader group of folks get the kind of experience and exposure to clients that they may not have otherwise had if the um, corporations were not insisting um, that their teams be um, managed by a more diverse selection of attorneys.
1: And the last book you read and that you would recommend?
2: So it's not the last book I read, but I'm going to recommend it anyway. <laughs> um, we, ha- <laughs> we have um, a chief diversity officer at my law firm who's a partner and a dear friend of mine. And one of the things that we started was an um, equity and inclusion um, task force and she encouraged us to read a couple of books so I'm going to tell you what those couple of books are because I think I I got something out of both of them. One is The Color of Law and the other is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson and um, we actually had a whole book club within the law firm where we talked about the contents of those books so I definitely recommend those and for something that's lighter um, I read a book with my son recently um, uh, it's called A Song Below Water with Bethany Morrow. It's a a fantasy book, but it has some um, social justice themes in it that I think if you have children or young adults, they would really enjoy that book as well. Thank you for this uh, discussion. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: My guest today was Ty Lord, partner at Kilpatrick Townsend in Atlanta, USA.
0: Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.